Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Today's sermon is entitled, Let the Little Children Come. I think that's one of the most well-known sayings of Jesus, is it not? Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Of all the things that Jesus said, the most recognizable things, that's pretty high on the list, I think. I think people who aren't even familiar with the Bible, they would probably be aware of Jesus saying, let the little children come to me. And it makes me think of that chorus that I learned as a kid, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. This is a slide of some kids from our potential partner church in Ethiopia, the Beke Kale Haywood Church on the outskirts of Addis Ababa. And you know, one thing that stood out for me that in that trip as we interacted with kids is that kids are kids. You know, whether it's in Cadillac or whether it's in Africa, kids are kids. They love to play. They love to be silly. They love to connect with adults. And Jesus loves them all. Now, some of you are very astute this morning, and you're wondering, hey, Chad, Pastor Chad to you, by the way, um, <laughs> why are we skipping Mark 10, 1 through 12? Did anybody notice that? A few of you did, a few of you did, where Jesus teaches on divorce, and you might be thinking, Chad, are you scared to tackle this? And my answer would be, well, wouldn't you be, right? Um, but the truth of the matter is, listen carefully, as we finish, after we finish the book of Mark, we're going to do a series on our church's statement of faith. And in that series, we're going to thoroughly flesh out things like gender, marriage, sexuality, divorce. And so in doing so, I believe that we're going to do a much better job of teaching on divorce than we would in a single isolated Sunday, because I think to teach on divorce, you got to teach on all those other things as well to put it in its proper context. So That's what's going on. Does that make sense? All right. So for today, um, please stand with me as I read the text. It's a short one. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. It says, And they were bringing children to Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Would you bow your heads with me? God, it just makes me smile to read that text. Um, Just the imagery of Jesus loving children. God, I, I pray that we would not just gloss over this deed to say to us today. And so prepare our hearts for that. God, I pray that you would help me to communicate it clearly and by the power of your Holy Spirit that I would communicate it powerfully. And we would ask that you would help us to not be merely hearers of the word, but that we would be doers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so 
Today's passage breaks down into four main parts. We have children rejected, then children welcomed, children emulated, and then lastly, children blessed. And so let's look at the first of these, children rejected. Let's go back up to verse 13, the very first part of it. It says, and they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. Now, how many of you watched at least a few episodes of The Chosen? Raise your hands if you have lots of you. Okay. I think my personal favorite episode, or at least part of an episode, was season one, episode three, where Jesus was interacting with children. Do you remember that one? I love the way he was depicted there. Um, He was fun, fun Jesus. I love that. He was lighthearted. He was tender. He was caring. He was skilled at getting down to the level of the children and giving them his undivided attention, communicating to them their value and worth and making them feel so very loved. I think that's, that's a great example for us as we engage children. I think there's a lot right there that we could learn from this and from Jesus. Well, in our text today, we have parents who bring their children to Jesus to receive a blessing. Now, it was a pretty normal practice in that day, a pretty normal custom qualifies that for this very purpose. So it'd be maybe in some way similar to our practice of child dedication. But sadly, as we read in the text, in that second half of verse 13, the disciples rebuked them which is absolutely mind-boggling when we consider the context, right? If you think about the last several sermons, the last, last several texts, what had Jesus been just talking so much about? Children, right? When the disciples were being prideful and they were arguing about which one of them was the greatest, what did Jesus do? He put before them a little child, and he called the disciples to be childlike to be humble, to be dependent, to be full of faith and void of pretense. And then, if you remember from last week, he warned his apostles about what would happen to those who would cause these little ones to stumble. How bad was it? It was bad, right? He said it would be better for such a person if a great millstone were hung around his neck and they were thrown into the sea. That's just how fiercely Jesus loves and cares for children. But all that didn't seem to have rubbed off on the disciples yet. Because in today's text, we have loving parents who desire to bring their children to Jesus. And what did the apostles do? They rebuked the parents and rejected the children, exhibiting an attitude which was completely opposite of Jesus, completely counter to that of Jesus, and causing us to wonder, just how these apostles can consistently so get it wrong until we recognize what? I pretty consistently get it wrong too, right? Well, it might be helpful if we ask the question, well, why specifically did the apostles rebuke the parents? What was their issue with these parents bringing kids to Jesus that caused them to reject the children? I think there were probably a couple of reasons. Number one, children in that culture were not held in high esteem. On the pecking order of importance, children were a ways down the list. You've heard that old saying, children should be seen and not heard. That was especially true in that culture at that time. And so with that perspective, the apostles did not view kids to be worth the limited time of the Savior. 
Truly, there were more important people or more important things for Jesus to be concerned about. And then secondly, I think another reasons, the reason the, the apostles would have rejected the kids is they were tired and stressed. Now, why were they tired and stressed? Well, where are they on the way to? They're on their way to Jerusalem. And they're beginning to awaken and understand the whole idea that Jesus is going to be crucified in Jerusalem. It's coming. They're in the last six months of this time with Jesus. And so they are tired. They are stressed. And so in the gravity of their current situation, from their perspective, this is no time for Jesus to be playing games with kids. There were certainly more important matters to which to attend. So that is point number one on the outline, which is children rejected, but thankfully it doesn't end there. Point two on the outline is children welcomed. Children welcomed. Look at verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Now, that's a strong word in the Greek, indignant. It comes from um, the Greek, I knew I was going to struggle with this one. Agonakteo. That makes me sound maybe smarter than I am. Agonakteo. It's a compound word. Agon, which means very much. Akthos, which means pain and grief. The actions of the apostles toward the children caused very much pain and grief for Jesus. And truth be told, he was angry with them. Jesus got angry on occasion, did he not? I think, too, of when he cleansed the temple, Jesus got angry at times. And don't miss this. Sometimes we think of, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament, he was the angry God. And God of the New Testament, Jesus, he's the nice God, as if they're two separate things, right? They're not two separate entities. They're not two separate beings. They're not two separate personalities. It's God, Old Testament, New Testament. And in reality, the same God throughout the scriptures. And here in Mark 10, 14, God, Jesus, is indignant. He is angry with his apostles. Truth be told, that the children were not the bother to Jesus. Who was the bother to him? The apostles. And so he says in that second half of verse 14, here's that famous saying, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. So again, while the apostles rebuked the parents, rejected the children, Jesus opens his arm wide and says, oh, I welcome them. He did not view children as an interruption, as an inconvenience, as a hindrance. Rather, listen carefully, he prioritized them. He prioritized them. The apostles would have put kids at the end of the line. Jesus put them where? At the front of the line. In part because, listen carefully, this is where we get into the meat of the text, I think, today. In part because children show us, adults, how to enter the kingdom of God, which is point number three on the outline, children emulated children emulated. Look with me at the last part of verse 14. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive, everyone say that word receive, receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now what is it about kids that Jesus says we ought to emulate? Well, it is their ability in contrast to us, older ones, It is their ability to receive the free gift of eternal life, which is only by God's 
grace. Again, that word receive is the key, just as it says in John 1.12. But to all who did, what's the word? Receive. receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I, I use this slide constantly because I think it so beautifully illustrates the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, our salvation is all about a great exchange, isn't it? Salvation is not by my effort. It is not something that I earn. It is only a free gift of God's grace. And so as we look at the slide, God made Jesus to be sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus takes our sin we take the righteousness of God. And there's that word at the bottom, the red box. I received his righteousness, not by my effort, not by my works. I don't earn it. I receive it by God's grace. And the truth of the matter is, children are much, much better at this idea of receiving than we adults are. Children haven't done anything to earn anything, have they? but they receive. We adults always want to earn. We always want to contribute. We always want to do it on our terms, our way. Put another way, listen carefully. Left to ourselves, as we age, we move from helpless independence of childhood to prideful independence of adulthood. And that prideful independence is diametrically opposed to the gospel of God's grace. Um, there are actually some startling, terrifying statistics that demonstrate how children are so much better at receiving God's grace than adults. For example, 19 of 20 people who became Christians did so before the age of 25. Let that sink in for just a minute. And so it's no wonder ministry to kids was such a priority to Jesus and ought to be to us. And then it gets worse, according to a Gallup survey. At 25, 1 in 10,000 become believers. At 35, 1 in 50,000. At 45, 1 in 200,000. At 55, 1 in 300,000. And at 75, 1 in 700,000. I'm so glad some of you are that one. Why is this? Well, largely because, again, as we age, we move from helpless dependence to prideful independence. And so you can now see why Jesus so emphatically said, let the little children come. Let them ch children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child. First three points of our outline. Children rejected, children welcomed, children to be emulated. And the passage ends with point number four, which is children blessed. Children blessed. Look at verse 16. And he took them in his arms and blessed them laying his hands on them. I love this picture of the imagined response of the apostles. Look at them, they're like, oh, can't believe he's doing that. You know, it's like, that's so wrong. Um, they even look sad. They look embarrassed. They look humiliated. They look appalled, certainly shocked, but hopefully 
Jesus is living out before them uh, a, a word picture, a living truth, a parable of what their priorities should be. Hopefully they're learning their lesson that Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Well, I don't know about you, but um, it makes me want to be one of those kids, you? To take my 52-year-old self and crawl up into the lap of Jesus, to have him lay his hands on me and bless me. Well, the truth of the matter is we can, and we should. Romans 8, 15 through 16, it reads, For you, church, did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That word Abba, it's an Aramaic word for father, but it expresses affection. It signifies a close, intimate relationship, a childlike trust. It might be closest to our English word daddy. And it is the word that Jesus used when praying to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, to his Abba and ours. You see, part of what it means to be created in God's image, and that'll be fun to unpack when we preach through our church's statement of faith. What does it mean to be created in God's image? Part of it is to be created for this kind of relationship, to have the capacity to have this kind of relationship with Almighty God, an Abba kind of relationship where we are able, spiritually speaking, to crawl up into His lap. And just like the children in today's text, to have him lay his hands on us and bless us. Why? Because he loves us. How's the old song go? Jesus loves me. This I know. Any of you adults too proud to sing that right now? We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Let's sing it. Jesus loves me. Billy Graham, Billy Graham tells this story. He says, um, the great Swiss theologian, Dr. Karl Barth, was probably in his generation the greatest theologian in the world and a great philosopher as well. Graham says, I, I did not always agree with him, but he was my friend and I respected him. While he was in this country, a student at one of the seminaries said, Dr. Barth, what is the greatest truth that ever crossed your mind? All the seminary students were sitting on the edge of their seats to hear some great, profound, deep, complicated answer. Dr. Bart slowly raised his great, shaggy, gray head and looked at the student and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So, that is our outline for the day. We have children rejected, children welcomed, children emulated, and children blessed. Let's shift to application and ask this question, how should we then live? Uh, application point number one I have is this, bring the children. Bring the children. Parents, grandparents, neighbors, church, bring the children. Make ministry to kids the priority that it is to Jesus. 
I think that's a good question for us to ask as a church. Hey, do we prioritize kids the way that Jesus prioritized kids? We've seen clearly in today's text just how important it is to him, and we must do more than give lip service to this. We must devote our time, our talent, and our treasure to this priority, both personally and corporately. In church, in so many ways, we are doing well. Just recently, we celebrated um, a, a wonderful milestone. We set a goal of, hey, we, let's raise $5,000 to send to our neighborhood elementary school to give to Franklin Elementary for emergency needs that kids have there. And the kids, $1,000, and what a blessing that is to Franklin Elementary. But there are so many kids still at Franklin Elementary who need mentors. Adults who can spend one hour a week sitting at a table with them, giving them the undivided attention that they so desperately need, one hour a week that truly has the potential to change their lives. Further, we have needs in our children's ministry and in our nursery ministry. And to those of you who are already serving, God bless you. Thank you so much for what you are already doing. But I do say this also with confidence and conviction that a church of this size should not struggle as much as we do for workers in these areas. All right? We got some needs. We got some priorities when it comes to children, and it's, it's a struggle. It's more of a struggle than it should be for a church of our size. We need to do more than give lip service to the mandate to bring the children. We need to be present and invested for when the children come. And so if you're sensing that holy nudge of the Spirit this morning to make ministry to children more of a priority for you and participated in this church's priority of ministering to kids, we would love to hear from you by contacting the church office. We'd be thrilled to help you find your place. Application point number two, after we bring the children, do not hinder the children. Don't hinder them. There's a long list of ways we could be hindering children. Maybe through our hypocrisy, through our apathy. Um, the disciples, they, they put up barriers that prevented the kids from getting to Jesus. And parents, grandparents, church, we may very well be guilty of the same thing, often without even being aware that we're hindering the kids from coming to Jesus. Um, I think there are two extremes in our culture today when it comes to kids. Listen carefully two extremes in our culture. Both of them create hindrances to kids coming to Jesus. Extreme number one is we minimize our children. We minimize our children, just like the disciples were. We put them on the back burner. We put them way down the list somewhere. They should be seen and not heard. We got more important things to do than kids. We neglect them. We're so busy doing our own thing that we do not invest in them spiritually, emotionally, relationally. We kind of leave them to fend for themselves, to figure it out for themselves. Even Christian parents do this, right? Life is busy. I know it is. We work. We got household responsibilities. We've got activity. We got lots going on. Oh, but don't hinder the children from coming to Jesus by neglecting them, by neglecting spending time in the Word with them, by neglecting praying with them, by neglecting looking them in the face. And not asking them yes or no questions, but asking them open-ended questions by which they can share their hearts with you. When we fail to do these things, when we fail to prioritize children and to invest in them, both in the home and in the church, we minimize them, we neglect them, it becomes a real hindrance for them to come 
to Jesus. So beware of the extreme of minimizing children, of being so into your own thing that you're not taking care of the priority and the responsibility of investing them and in their hearts. But the other extreme, we idolize our children. We idolize our children. They become the center of our parental universe. The family is all about them and their activities and their happiness and their self-actualization. And often when that happens and the kids are running the show and they're setting the agenda, what takes a back seat? The church, right? Um, the church takes a back seat to whatever activity season it is. And then we wonder... Why did our kids grow up and didn't really have an interest in the church or the things of God? How, how did that happen? Uh, parents, I, w- I will say this. Christy and I have been there. Um, we had some hard conversations growing up saying no to our kids, saying no to some lesser things. They were good things. They were good opportunities. They were good activities. But we said no to them in part to teach them the importance of the greater things. And I got to tell you, when your kids are grown, you're going to look back at a lot of the things that we did and say, yeah, we might have made that bigger than it should have been. Perspective will change mightily when your kids grow up. I can now say as a parent of a 24-year-old and a 23-year-old, I'm so glad that we said no to some things. And we taught our kids that there are greater things. It wasn't easy. (laughs) There were moments of wailing and gnashing of teeth in the Zaka household, okay? Um, But you know what? They got over it. They got over it. Um, Parents, I, I pray that you will have the courage to not idolize your children, but to train your children to invest in your children and to teach them about the greater things and prioritizing the greater things over the lesser things. Um, So bring the children. Do not hinder the children. Thirdly, be like the children. You probably could predict that one was coming. Be like the children. Remember earlier we said that left to ourselves as we age, We move from helpless dependence of childhood to the prideful independence of adulthood. And it's that prideful independence that is so diametrically opposed to the gospel of God's grace. We must receive the kingdom of God as little children. And so to that end, I'm going to put up a series of slides on the screen that are, um, it's, it's a poem, but it's a prayer, and I would invite you to recite this prayer with me in unison from the heart. We'll do it slowly so you can kind of digest what it is that we're praying, but would you join me in praying this prayer? Make me, O Lord, a child again, so tender, frail, and small, in self possessing nothing, and in Thee possessing all. O Savior, make me small once more, that downward I may grow, and in this heart of mine restore the faith of long ago. With Thee may I be crucified, no longer I that lives. O Savior, crush my sinful pride, 
by grace which pardon gives. Make me, O Lord, a child again, obedient to thy call, in self-possessing nothing, and in thee possessing all. Would you pray with me, please? Father, may this prayer genuinely be the cry of our hearts. And may we grow in spiritual maturity by growing to be more childlike. Those things seem very much opposed to each other, but in the economy of your kingdom, that's how it works. When we are weak, then you are strong. God, help us to embrace weakness for the sake of receiving your strength. That's not easy. We're, we're trained very differently by the world. But God, may we be trained not by the world today, but by your word. And God, I pray if there are any within the sound of my voice today who need to receive salvation as a little child, not by trying to earn it, not by trying to be good by our own efforts, but simply by saying, oh God, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. I surrender myself to you as a little child. Would you be my Savior and would you be my Lord? God, I pray for our, us as a church. Um, thank you for the wonderful ministry to children that goes on here. But God, as we look at our community, we, we recognize that the need is so much greater and there's so much more for us to do. God, I readily admit it is uncomfortable at times to minister to kids. It's hard work. But God, you have called us to be uncomfortable and to work hard. And so God, would you grow us as a church in being able to have even a greater extension of your presence through the ministry to children. And we commit this to you today in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said,